It's another episode of the Investigate podcast, and I'm your host, Arjun Paliwal, Head of Research and Director at Investigate Buyers Agency. Today's episode is with one of our special team members, Kev. Now, Kev is a buyer's agent at kevtran.com.au, which is where you can learn more about him. And he's a buyer's agent here at Investigate. Now, Kev is a very experienced buyer's agent when it comes to the number of purchases he's made, his own investing journey as well, and with the different sessions he goes through with clients to be able to reflect on first-time investor goals, first-time investor achievements that we have and getting them to their second, or even more experienced investors when we're getting them to their fifth, sixth, or seventh properties and beyond. Why is this important to share with you? Well, today's episode is us digging into the secrets behind building and the truth behind building. So let alone secrets, there are more truths than anything. The truth behind building a scalable passive income. Why is this critical to understand? Well, passive income is floated around as this super attainable, very easy and fast to get thing just through investing. You couldn't be more wrong. We discuss how long it takes to get passive income, and that too is a sustainable one. We discuss the phases of buying, when to acquire, consolidate. How important is that acquiring phase? Should you do it quickly? Should you do it slowly? And the other question is, should you keep buying? Well, there's a lot of things that we unpack on this because many of the answers will surprise you. And I hope in a good way to realize that Really, there is no silver bullet to this. Get rid of all those things that you see that will solve all your life like a a magic pill in the world of passive income. It's just not the case. And here is where we go through the truths behind it. Most importantly, though, some of the things we discuss here, it's not financial advice. It is us going through the different scenarios we've mapped out, the different scenarios we've played on with the tools that we have. Most importantly, the experience that Kev and I carry in our own respective journeys. Anything passive income, you know, goals, mapping, financial planning, discuss this with your relevant you know, advisor and see how this all fits into the journey. But I'm confident that as they you know, consider some of the points you raise here, their heads will be nodding in the way that it isn't meant to be achieved in one day through property investing. Well, tune into this episode, hear from Kev and I as we discuss the truths of building a sustainable passive income. Kev, uh, thanks again for being available here to go through some pretty exciting stuff. I know you get to catch up with a lot of people in terms of building their portfolios and really unlocking what that passive income number can look like for them, as well as the journey there. So I really want to understand point number one. This is uh, interesting, and we managed to discuss all the points offline, which is really cool to go through in more detail. But number one is it takes time to build a passive income. Now, this is what the point that everyone hates, Kevin, because it's like, wait, what? You can't do it for me in five years? What's what's going on? So, Kev, what's a common timeline and, and why is it so important to state that it actually takes time? Yeah, thanks, Arjun. So, unfortunately, like, it does take some time. You know, we've all heard that the longer you hold property for, you know, the, the better the results will be. And in reality, you know, when we're speaking with clients, uh, a common timeline, once we do uh, a mapping for them is 15 to 25 years. That's a good amount of time, Kev, 15 to 25 years, right? Yeah, exactly. And we're also, when we were doing out this, uh, like mapping their portfolio, we're working off some conservative assumptions as well. 
right? We're, we're going to work off the the average long term growth and, and rental increases, and then we're going to like have be be on the lower end as well. So that way, anything that performs better outperforms. Then we're going to get the results faster. But realistically, what we're looking at at a larger time frame, as opposed to people saying you can you can hit your goals in five years. The old ten properties in ten years was that slogan that kept coming up from everyone, right? And and often as well, some of the podcasts that many people feature on, the stories make them feel like everything's possible as well. So I love how you're bringing some reality to the equation from the get go. Now it is important for anyone tuning in that. When we do share things on portfolio mapping, whether it be in our conversation here or in discussions with Kevin and what Kevin has with his clients, it's not financial advice. We're simply going through the things we've learned through mapping out scenarios clients want us to play around with. It's very general in nature, and then you know clients make their own financial advice and decisions around it with their own qualified you know, folks who help them with this. So, um, on that note, Kevin, when you talk about fifteen to twenty-five years, it reminds me of an an activity my wife and I are doing with the same stuff that we're going through today. And we realize how fortunate we are, but also how important it is to start young. And also we realize when starting young, it did not mean that that 15 to 25 year timeline was any less. Like our passive income goal timeline ended up being exactly in that point, 22 years roughly. So all it meant was that instead of that 22 years finishing at, you know, 70 or 60s, it's finishing in the the mid to late 40s for us. So that was the big difference maker. But nonetheless, coming back to your point, it's always that 15 to 25 as a key point. Now, when it comes to point number two, you know, going on from that timing piece in terms of how long it takes, what are some of the mistakes that people make? Because point number two seems to be a mistake that people tend to make or perceive as something that they should keep doing. Could you explain more on point two for us? Yes, yeah, so point two would be that you don't actually need to keep buying. I guess the, the common thought is that you just keep buying properties, you keep accumulating. But there needs to be a point where you, you find a sweet spot where you can stop buying. And then at that stage, you let the, the magic of compounding do its thing. And uh, of course, you want to be increasing your liquidity. You, you, you're going to be, you want to see your debt kind of hit a standstill and then you know, erode with inflation and offset accounts. So, you know, this is where you can then. Um, look at other you know, strategies, and if you do want to continue buying after this stop point, then then you can. And at that stage, we would then be looking at certain we call them forward moving income assets. So, Could you tell me about what forward moving income assets? But actually, before you do, this is this is coming across pretty strange from a couple of buyers agents. You don't need to keep buying. I reckon people are like, hold on a minute, why are these guys so honest? What's happening over here? Like, it's the truth. You know, people people think that. You just need to buy forever and ever. And you finally enough have these conversations where it's like, hey, we should be done buying in the next two years. And how fascinating is that for people, right? I mean, you go through these stories around people saying every single year, always buy property. It's it's a forever buy sort of thing. But when it comes down to that timeline and getting to the end goal, you can't just sit there and buy all the time. I know you're talking about forward moving assets. Did you want to go through what they were? Yeah, so for, for us, we want to, well, once we get to this stop point, we want to be able to purchase an asset that's it's going to have us like going to have strong, strong cash flow from the beginning. Um, so we're looking here at perhaps a commercial or unit blocks. So then we'll jump in at sixty-five to seventy-five percent LVR, positive cash flow from the beginning. I can see where you're going. So it's kind of like don't take the whole one step back, two step forward. It's more like no, from day one, if we're wanting to add more assets and you're beyond your buying point. 
just make them one step forward. That's it. So it's not like a one step back, two step forward, like property typically is because cash flow is usually weaker at the start. Is that kind of where you're kind of saying, Kevin? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, if you've got like a strong residential base at this point, then if you look at something like commercial, then you're going to have higher higher yields or, like a, or unit blocks. So you have higher yields. So your cash flow initially is going to be stronger, especially if at this stage you're using, um, you're, you're going in with a, with a larger deposit as well so you know having lower um lower lvr awesome now kev i know um you're able to visualize this for us as well just to give us a bit of an input on what it may look like now for anyone obviously listening into the audio version if you want to see the visual you can follow us along or jump on our youtube channel at investikit and you'll be able to find this video uploaded there as well. So you can see what Kev's going through in the screen share. But we'll do our best to talk through it, Kev, and the key points to make it uh, as compatible from the audio side of things as well. So, yeah, happy for you to share your screen because this is a really cool point around some of the systems and platforms we use. As this is what clients get to go through at Investigate Buyers Agency as the first core step of working with us. And that's really important. The first core step is not buying property. It's not throwing you into a market and saying, this is the great best market of all time. It's through actually taking a moment for you to reflect on your own portfolio, um, for us to go through a mapping exercise, and for us to then transition to research and markets and, and buying property. So let's see what not buying again and again looks like, Kevin, why it's, why it's pretty important. Yeah, perfect. So I'll just share my side here. So Kevin, what you're going through now is our portfolio mapping software that we go through with clients. And what you're saying here is that this is kind of visualizing why we don't have to keep buying and buying again, right? Yeah, that's right. So the first step, like you said, uh, when we're working with clients is before we're even looking at properties or locations, we need to create a bit of a plan so that we can understand based on your particular circumstances, what sort of strategy do we need to employ? You know, what kind of timeframes are we working with depending on your age and what your goals are? Because we need to create this strategy that's going to be in line with the, the client's appetite as well because no point being really aggressive if, you know, it's not their style and, and what's going to make them comfortable. So what we do with this tool, and again, not financial advice, just mapping out what's possible, is we go through some assumptions and they're going to be very conservative in nature. So we're looking at, you know, 7% growth rate, which is kind of average for long term. And we've got a 4.5% rental increase per annum, for example, as well, which is much lower than what we we can see with the rental crisis happening. But what we would then be able to do is kind of map out visually what a portfolio can look like over the short to long term. And this is just an example of my portfolio here, currently with three properties and just throwing in some hypothetical purchases into the future. So one for next year, and then another one for 2024. And based on those assumptions that we have above, we can kind of map out where this would take me to into the long term uh, in terms of passive income goals adjusted for inflation. Now, there's a couple of things that I'm seeing here on the screen. I like this one, Kev, because firstly, to the point before, you raised the idea of two more purchases on top of the three that you already have. Now, what that screams out to me is spot on with your point number two is that you didn't say, I need 10 properties in 10 years, or I need to keep buying all the time. And uh, of course, a buyer's agent is going to keep telling you to buy, but that's not the point here. So the idea here is that you found in your risk appetite, with your savings, with consideration of what you currently have, a couple more would get you there. But what's interesting on this particular visualization is that there's three core areas I can see. One area is where cash flow seems to be quite low. 
and a point in which your assets are rising the fastest. So that's the buying part, which you're talking about. We don't have to keep buying again. Then it goes to the second climbing phase. It's like, this is the part where you're not buying anything and compound magic of rental growth, asset growth is doing its thing. And this kind of is lasting almost from that sort of 2025 all the way to about 2037, 38. So this seems to be the good, you know, 15 year period of holding. And then it goes into this next sort of three to five years where the climb just becomes steep. And I guess this is because it's those compounding figures really starting to grow, right? So that's such an interesting point because then coming to that same, you know, magic number, 20 years, you're already starting to hit some pretty serious passive income there. Yeah, exactly. So like like you said, um, through this mapping tool, we can work out, okay, we're holding three now, perhaps... If we add two more in, what does it look like to the future? And, you know, for me and in my family, another two is is a good balance because, yeah, we, we could probably purchase more if we're going to be more aggressive, but there are other things I want to do in life as well, like maybe I've got one kid now, maybe we'll have another one, holidays, other things as well, right? So so that I can make that end, end goal or, or make that passive income, which is like about 55, 56, so, you know, 10 years younger than the pension age, you can still hit the goals uh, whilst balancing out you know, lifestyle and everything as well. Well, that leads on to point three, Kevin, which I really feel is, if not the most important, one of the most important points here. The acquisition window needs to be as small as possible. We've kind of touched on it here, but could you explain more about what that means and why that's really important? Yeah, so with the acquisition window being as small as possible, like in my portfolio, you know, we're looking at a total of five purchases. And let's just make it simple. Let's say we had a 20-year plan that we're working off and we're going to make five purchases. If I could make those five purchases within five years, then that last purchase, you know, we've got 15 years for that last one to compound. Mm. But, but if I stretched it out, you know, those five purchases without a strategy and, you know, without picking the right assets at the right time or best locations and it took 15 years then that last property would only have five years of compounding. So, you know, if that was the case, then we wouldn't be hitting our goals in time because we're entering too late for certain properties. So we're not getting the compound growth with the capital growth and we're not getting that growth with the rentals as well. Powerful point, Kevin, because what you just made me realize then is that when someone says they're on a 20-year investing journey, the investing journey is really only as long as your last purchase not as long as how long you've been on there. So in that example of the fifth purchase, that being 15 years afterwards is powerful because now you get a whole potential cycle because if it won't grow in 10 years, hey, maybe it'll grow in 12 years. And if it won't grow in 12 years, in 15 years it should achieve the desired result. So very few markets across the country haven't had that you know, moment of where they're quiet for five 10, 15 years, they usually have something happen over that time. And what that also has given me some insight on is that property investing should have a relaxed component to it, but not for the starting point. The starting point seems that it needs to be a race to really compound and the actual efforts of as many properties as you can get under your belt at the start. But then from there, it needs to go into a strong holding phase to not worry about buying every year, but now taking the maximum compound value that you've achieved. 
such a good point, Kevin, because it made me made me realize if I was, you know, more relaxed on the buying, sure, I might still hit that same goal, but unnecessarily I could be adding on substantial amounts of time. Like let's take your fifth property. One of five properties is 20%. So 20% of your portfolio could be at risk of having minimal growth if your journey wasn't five years and it was actually 10 years for that fifth one to come into the picture. So really powerful point there, Kevin. Let's jump into point number four. What have we got there? Yeah, number four, and kind of goes in, everything's also intertwined, right? Number four would be being disciplined with your savings. And that was a consideration for, for me and my family as well, because whilst we're having our acquisition phase, the buying window, um, we're being a bit more aggressive. So we're saving more, putting it into our offset accounts or you know, putting it aside for the portfolio to you know, offset debt or increase our deposit for the next purchase. So, you know, being disciplined with our savings whilst, especially in the acquisition phase, um, is, is really important. And it even after you've got the acquisition phase, you know, the, the savings plays a big role in being able to reduce your debt, okay? And I think kind of going back to the previous point and how this relates is while you're in certain phases of your portfolio, you know, it can be more aggressive with your savings. So if you're doing it over a short amount of time for your acquisition window, then you have more time to relax afterwards as well. That makes sense. That, that does make sense. And you were saying, Kevin, around a point that we spoke about earlier, and this was around the final phase of the journey, and this is consolidation. Could you explain for those that do build a big portfolio and now are looking to get that larger passive income, what consolidation is and how important the savings plan plays when you are consolidating in the future. Yeah, so so a lot of investors, while they're building their portfolio and accumulating more, more assets, they've got interest-only loans as opposed to principal and interest. So this way, they've got more cash flow to use as a buffer, but also to then purchase or have enough cash to then purchase again. Um while also having an offset account. So effectively, they could offset the amount of debt they're paying on that loan. Now, a lot of investors, especially that we work with and myself, will put additional funds into this offset account. So all your savings that you're making, right, uh, into this offset account. And then over time, 10, 15, 20 years, you can effectively offset that all that, that loan amount. So mm. when you consolidate, you can make a choice of just paying down the principal or when you get to a stage where you're looking to retire or you know, pay down debt, perhaps you could sell down an asset. Right. This is, the, this is the word that everyone hates hearing. Sell property. Come on, Arjun, you're Indian. You, know, you don't sell properties. You're not meant to do that. Didn't your parents teach you? That's what you all get told. I, I suppose it's, a, it's the same thing for you as well, Kev. Do you get told about the whole don't ever sell? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, and typically, you know, that, that's that's right. Like, unless you've got an underperforming property or whatever it is, or you could purchase properties with the intention of consolidating to pay down debt, right? Because if you held on to it, again, the compounding over time, and that property has grown significantly in value, then you could pay down. You use that to to pay down debt. Considerations would be things like. Um, how much that property has grown, of course, versus how much it's renting, you know, the rental growth. Ideally, you'd be paying down a property that's grown in capital growth, but perhaps one of your weaker rental properties in terms of, you know, how much income it brings in. Because the reality is, if you do sell down, then it's going to take a, a hit out of your passive income. Mm. And so 
I think where the sell, sell downs can help anyone at any stage, to be honest, but I think what sell downs do is they accelerate the pace of passive income, but albeit at a lower base, right? Because you're keeping less assets. And number two is what sell downs can help is they can also help people with a lower savings ability. Because what I find is we speak to clients in different portfolio scenarios and there is client A, which has 10, 12, we get them to eight to 15 properties in their planning. And we actually get there at that time. Then all of a sudden they say, well, I'm saving enough anyway to get these fully offset. So I'll keep the whole lot of passive income. But then others, they might only get to five or six properties and then they can't save enough to put that offset balance high. And then at that period, they consider selling two to have four debt free. And this is the whole idea of less is more. And so that 15 to 25 year timeline really just changes by how soon you consolidate. But at the same time, that consolidation, as you said, could be a greater saving. So you consolidate less or it could be a sell. And when you bring those sales earlier, you've got to recognize that the risk is lower income than longer term, but you get that income sooner. So uh, a really good point there. Kev, what's the final one that you've got for us, which is the key piece to property acquisition? Because this is the part that many people feel like, hey, you can buy, you don't need anyone to buy but we all need the banks to buy, right, Kevin? So what do the banks love? Yeah, absolutely. This is the biggest truth, uh, like you said, out of all of them. And you need income and also income growth to be able to service more debt. You know, the, the banks, the banks, even if you've got equity in your whole portfolio, but you've got no income or the income isn't enough to, to the, for them to go, yeah, cool, we'll give you more debt. Um, it, it's just not going to happen. So that's a reality that we, we, we talk about um, that I guess other BAs can say, oh, well, you can build a, massive portfolio of you know, 20 properties on, on an average income. It's just simply not the truth. You do need income to be able to service debt. Very, yeah, very big honest point there. Yeah. And this is a part that people don't like to be told. You know, they hear stories about a portfolio, someone with 20 properties, someone with 15 properties, 10 properties. The truth is, if they did not have a lot of time, they had a lot of income. And I'm honest and upfront about this the whole time. Like, my portfolio is not being built by the typical person in the same time frame. Never. My portfolio can be built by a typical person if they were doing it for much longer because they get to the same values much longer or they earn more. So this is something that I'm always blessed by, but I'm always honest to, which is my ability to earn was the biggest controller of how much debt I could take on. And whether that was through corporate life and banking roles and going up the corporate ladder, whether it was having a partner on my side who was also doing the same. So the double income, no kids. I think there's a term for that called dinks or something. Uh, double income, no kids. But basically from there, there was business incomes and multi-businesses. I'm very upfront on this part. And I know you are too, Kevin, when it comes to your client discussions that, hey, the wages will change over time. But um, that's another thing, actually. How crazy is it that life can change on us, right, Kevin? Like, can you go back to when you were 18, then go to when you were 21, then go to when you were 25, and look what's changed over life in terms of your earnings and capacity? And like, could you have imagined all those things to happen? Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you look back at that time, and then, like you said, 18 to 21, if I, when I was 18, I wouldn't, did not imagine how my life would be at 21 and vice versa when I was 21, what you know, my life was even a few years later. So, yeah, uh, and at every stage as well, you know, if you're, you're working to you know, develop yourself and, and your skills, 
uh, your experience, you want to be earning, increasing your income as well. So I guess it's all part of the life journey and, you know, being conscious about that, you know, and it's a conversation that we're having, we're seeing come up a lot more with this skill shortage in Australia. Like people need to have that conversation with their, with their, um, if they're an employee or a pay-as-you-go employee to, to get a pay rise, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a way to do it. Um, but yeah, increasing income is is a pivotal part of being an investor. Pay rise, find your passion, you know, different side hustles, businesses, time. That was a big one. Whilst I was fortunate to see a couple of jumps, I knew great things would come with time. But putting all of these points together, Kev, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. It sounds pretty boring to me, if I'm honest, Kevin, just looking at that portfolio planning. It's like, okay, five points, the five truths. Take time to build a passive income, commonly 15 to 25 years. This is the most fun part. The acquisition window needs to be small. So you buy aggressively over a shorter period, so you have longer length compounding. Number three, being disciplined with your savings, because this will help you consolidate less or build bigger buffers to hold for longer. Number four, you need to keep, uh, you don't need to keep buying. And I might have mucked up the ordering of these, but the five nonetheless, you don't need to keep buying because people make this mistake thinking you need to buy forever and ever. It's more important to actually hold those assets and see the debt stabilize. And then lastly, the size of this pool of assets that you'd like, not saying to achieve your goal requires this, but the size of the pool. If you'd like it to be larger, you need more income and or income growth. And don't expect it to happen overnight. My overnight journey is now a 12-year journey since when I started my first job, or actually 13-year journey. So this goes longer and longer. We find our sweet spots and then happens from there. Kevin, phenomenal tips. Thank you so much for sharing the truths behind building a passive income. That too, a sustainable one. How can people get in touch with you, Kevin, to learn more about how they can work closely with you as their buyer's agent? Yeah, so if you want to work closely with me personally, you can find me on kevtran.com.au. So K-E-V-T-R-A-N.com.au. Awesome. Reach out to Kevin, folks. Uh, He is a, a very talented buyer's agent and portfolio planning, such a key piece of what he does as well as going through the actual research and presentation. And as always, when it comes to any portfolio planning components, have a chat to your financial advisor, have a chat to your preferred professional from a financial planning and advice perspective. We can just go through the scenarios. We can put in what you've got. The ultimate financial plan and decision lies with you. Thank you again, Kevin, and uh, kevtran.com.au. Take care.